Isolation, humiliation, degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Do and Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio 855am on your dial or screaming www.freecr.org.au Today's show is a special broadcast following up from May Day. May Day is very important. It celebrates and is in solidarity with workers and unions. First up on the show we we have Sam Watson, a First Nation activist from Queensland who will talk about unions and what the day means to him. Then we will speak to Dave Karen, who is a unionist and an activist. Dave will be talking about May Day, protesters who have been arrested on May Day and possibly imprisonment. Dave himself was arrested. Um, he will give a general outline uh, and a list of his charges, we think, to give and give a court update. Hi Sam, welcome to the program. Can you tell G'day, us? Great, how you doing? Not bad. How are you? Um, yes. Can you tell us about what May Day means to you? Oh, May Day has always been an important part of our cultural calendar. Um, I mean, I started marching back in the fifties uh, and sixties with uncles and uh, aunties who were proud members of the unions, and we used to march from the uh, city down to the. Uh, down the exhibition grounds, and this is uh, right through the the Jabberjocky Peterson years. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. We were all up together in the sort of the the so-called red contingent at the back, yeah. uh, and in, in the red contingent there used to be the uh, the black fellows and the uh, <laughs> the gays and lesbians and trannies and hmm. uh, socialists and communists and God knows what. So the ragtag revolutionary bunch and. Uh, <laughs> We uh, we were all lumped at the back there, and we sort of uh, had the most colourful and uh, noisiest little group in the march, I think. Mm. Uh, so was, and then we marched through to uh, to the exhibition grounds, and we all had a uh, a great time down there. And then from the exhibition grounds, we'd uh, wander back through the different unions. Uh, we'd go to the Communist Party headquarters at uh, at uh, the Valley, and then from the Valley down to the Wolfies Club down at uh, End of Adelaide Street. So there's always always plenty of happening, you know, and it's just good to sort of uh, reconnect with a lot of people and uh, and reconfirm the solidarity. Yeah, so always important. Yep. Can you tell us uh, what land you're from? 
Yeah, Brisbane mob. Um, our country's down um, down towards the border of the Logan and Albert Rivers. Mm. Wanjabara people. Our language group are the the Yugambi uh, people, Yugambi uh, people, and uh, through uh, through bloodlines, we're connected to the Jagara and Yagara people of the Brisbane area. So, yeah. but I've got family uh, up on uh, Sherberg, Warabinda, uh, up around. Mount Isa, Calcadon Country, and up in the Cape, um, oh. around the Wick people, and of course, big mob of family on uh, on Palm Island. So, the yeah. family right across Queensland. Wow. Could you talk about uh, the stolen wages? Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, from the from the beginnings um, in the 1800s and 1900s, the um, various uh, colonies moved towards statehood, and one of the first uh, sort of uh, administrative decisions they made were uh, relating to Aboriginal people. So they they uh, passed these so-called Protections Acts across the uh, the five states in the Northern Territory, and uh, these acts uh, placed every single Aboriginal trust on the person under the direct control of the state uh, state protectors, and the acts. And the regulations determined exactly where Indigenous people lived, uh, who we worked for, uh, how much we were paid, and when we did get jobs, uh, these uh, the wages these jobs were paid into state government administered funds. So here in Queensland, it's called the Ad- Admi- you know, public administration fund, uh, and our wages were uh, were held. In trust by the state protector, so our people were paid um, some pocket money every every week or every fortnight because uh, mm. I used to walk my uncles and aunties across to Native Affairs, which is in George Street, and because uh, a lot of my uncles and aunties didn't uh, couldn't even um, didn't even know how to write, um, um, you know, very tragically, and mm. uh, used to have to make their make their marks on the. Uh, They'd receive, um, they'd receive a small handful of change, and that'd, uh, that'd be the pocket money, and that'd be deducted from the from the account that is administered by the by the protector. So over over the decades, I mean, our, our people, our, our family members, own land, they own houses, they own vehicles, but under the state acts, under the state laws, they weren't allowed to actually own in their own right, in their own name. Assets in, in excess of market value of over 100 pounds. So, so the state protector uh, made all the decisions on our behalf. And of course, when public when public uh, you know projects were required funding, then the uh, state government of the day would, would just raid the stolen wages fund. I mean, the, we well, didn't so. know for sure that the Maryborough Hospital was built. From stolen wages money, the Redcliffe Hospital was built through stolen wages money, and there's a large, large number of roads and uh, arterial roads and highways around South East Queensland that were built out of stolen wages money. So, so people, you know, people of Queensland got uh, great value out of our, our money. Mm. So, um, could you talk about the history of unions and in, in regards of um, First Nation protests? Oh yeah, I mean. The uh, 
tried doing your movement uh, at the beginning. It goes back in the 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, there was a sort of a tension between the trade union uh, sector and the, and the Aboriginal people because mm. the trade union sector um, were always agitating for the rights of, of workers and uh, yeah. the rights of uh, so-called white workers uh, as opposed to the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So they always saw that uh, their first priority is for, for uh, their white members. Um, but moving forward into the 40s, 50s and 60s, um, the, uh, after the Second World War, when there's large numbers of Indigenous people moving into the cities and moving into different uh, different parts of the job market, uh, the, uh, there were also uh, more enlightened uh, leaderships emerging within the trade union movement. And yep. uh, definitely across the 50s and 60s, the trade union leadership took up the uh, the struggle for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be paid equal wages. So yeah. there's a, a raft of, uh, of actions taken through the industrial relations system in the Northern Territory that uh, that gave to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers the, uh, the rights to be paid uh, equal wages. But of course what uh, white employers did then, uh, rather than pay black workers their, their rights and uh, rather than play, pay black workers the equal wages they are entitled to, white employers would just uh, sack them and remove them from the traditional homeland. So that's how the, uh, the so-called 73 discrete communities across the Northern Territory, that, that's where they, where they come from. They come from uh, Aboriginal people who were forcibly removed from their own traditional lands because white employers just refused to pay uh, the oh, equal wages yeah. that the courts had determined they were entitled to. So right across Australia, every jurisdiction, um, we we fought through the 1960s, 1970s, the 1980s to have average trust on the people paid their due, their due rights, their equal wages. But uh, in a number of situations, Aboriginal workers were just... Uh, we just sacked and removed from the from the job place, so it was never it was never an easy struggle um, because uh, a lot of our people just had to you know keep uh, keep their mouths shut and and take the uh, take the loose change that yeah. was still paid by the white bosses. Yeah, there was a big um, protest or something there, um, sit-in or something at, on the tube station years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, when we first set up the Brisbane Aboriginal Legal Service and uh, and then extended that legal service right throughout Queensland, we found that uh, the first big actions we were involved in this, through the early 1970s, those actions were actions in the industrial relations system, uh, advocating for the rights of Aboriginal and Torres Strait workers. So we still had workers in the early 70s and mid-70s being paid in rations. Uh, mm. So the white workers would go to the front door and they'd be paid cash money and uh, sign, their, sign their paperwork. Uh, Aboriginal trust all the workers had to go to the back door with uh, the sugar bags and they'd be paid in rations. Uh, really. there's, that, there's a famous song from the Grinchy Struggle in the mid-1960s where Aborig- Aboriginal workers on the, uh, on the cattle stations around the territory were paid in Flour, sugar, and tea, and uh, mm. 
bloke they know, Ted Egan, uh, works with the Aboriginal people up there to pen that song, The Gringy Blues. A little bit flour, a little bit sugar, a little bit tea. So, oh, right. told of the Gringy struggle for the, uh, for equal and access to traditional lands. Yeah. I was told about, um, David Nemagira N- N- as well before. Yeah, he was, uh, he was given full citizenship rights, but, uh, in the, in the 1950s, but then when he, uh, he actually purchased some alcohol for his relatives, he was, uh, charged under the respected ordinances and placed into jail for simply, uh, doing what was seen as being culturally right, which was, um, sharing, sharing something that he purchased at the shop with his own people, so. Oh, this is where the, the two cultures clash. So David Amadure, one of the one of the greatest artists uh, Australia's ever produced, uh, charged and convicted of an offence because he was an Aboriginal person, and uh, by law he wasn't entitled was not entitled to drink alcohol. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. It's an entitlement to drink alcohol. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even through today, the I mean, they're still. Yeah. On Aboriginal communities across Queensland, there's still uh, still alcohol restriction laws. Oh. Um, I mean, we were out on Palm Island to do family business a few weeks back, and uh, everyone still gets searched by cops uh, getting on the uh, on the barge and then getting off the barge over on Palm. So we're still as though it's back in the 60s, mate. You know? Yeah, is that like um, legal? The law to do that to search people for alcohol? Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they suspended the 1965 Racial Discrimination Act uh, in order to uh, enforce those laws, so that uh, oh, yeah. it's a dry, dry community. So yeah. uh, Aboriginal people can't uh, bring alcohol on the Palm Island. Mm. Well, thanks for that, Sam. Um, we've got another interview coming up in a while. Okay. Soon. Um, no worries. Nice everyone have a great, uh, everyone have a great May Day. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, right. Right, Thanks. Solidarity. Thanks. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses' Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there, broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Hello, Dave, how are you? Um, welcome to the program. Can you tell us about what May Day means to you? Yeah, May Day is, um, uh, it's, it's, it's the day that around the world working people, um, celebrate. We celebrate our lives, the fact that, you know, we're the, the makers and the fabricators of everything that's good. Um, we're also forced at times to work in industries that destroy the planet or take mm. us to war. And so we've got to organise in those areas, but, Primarily, um, the May Day is that day where we say uh, the economy ought to be a democratic space and so that around questions like destruction of the planet and its life support systems or war, that the working people should have the primary say in that because we are the vast majority. Yeah. Um, 
Can you t- tell us about um, some protests that have been going on and talk about any arrests and stuff like that? Yeah, well, you know, like, uh, we sort of... Well, I guess what we're seeing more and more, especially in the union space, is um, is is the move against the most basic forms of solidarity. And whereas they're not... Um, uh, very often arresting people, what they are doing is that they are using laws that apply to unions but don't apply to the employer and and suing and fining unions in the attempt to corral them, to, to tame them. Um, so, you know, that's been going on for many, many years and without going into too much detail in the, in the minutes we've got, it started in 1977. When they moved in the what are called the secondary boycott laws, which outlaws solidarity between unions and within unions. Really? And, oh. and, you know, from that time onwards, unions have tried to... We've tried to duck and weave our, our way around the laws because, remember, those laws don't apply to the employer. Mm. They apply to us. So, so, you know, we're not allowed to set the price and the conditions of sale for the labour we sell across a whole industry, whereas the employer is. Um, we're, we're not allowed to hit a second or a third company in a dispute, whereas the employer is allowed to bring in a secondary workforce, what we would call scabs, and, and thereby uh, carry out a secondary boycott against us. So at every step and stage along the way, you see us as uh, citizens of this country unequal before the law, and that has to change. And so because of those unequal laws, unions... Uh, when they have to, you know, try to duck and weave to get around the laws, we look fraudulent, we look shifty, we look like we're up to something. And then they go ahead and they take us through the courts and they fine the unions. And, you know, like, for instance, if you look at the Victoria market, if the, if the unions come out and said the Victoria market is now a, a green ban mm. uh, and, and we want the rights of the stallholders and traders met and we're not going to... No work's going to proceed until that happens... That's now illegal in our country and the unions would be fined hundreds of thousands of dollars a day and the individual organisers would be sued per day as well. Um, That's the degree to which the democracy has been subverted since 1977. So what they've done, in 1977 they outlawed solidarity. In 96 they corralled us even tighter and said you can only show solidarity inside the workplace. Now they're saying individuals cannot show solidarity and that if you do, they're calling it conspiracy. So, oh, right. that, so that's the sort of legal position we've reached now, and it's it's a very dangerous space for this country to be in. Yeah, is it like um, sort of, you know, those there's the uh, strike laws too, isn't there? Yeah, well that's right, and that, that's it, that's exactly um, what those laws are. It's it's taken away the right to strike, mm. um, you know, which is really the 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 the, the outcome of solidarity in in the worst case scenario is always the strike. So, but if they're saying that strikes under the majority of situations, strikes are illegal, well, if you go back in time and you look at the things we've won, the, the, the paid apprenticeships, um, um, the weekend, um, yeah. superannuation, uh, you know, all of those things without... If, 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 they were to, if we were fighting those campaigns now, it would be illegal. Yeah. So when you think about that, that's a, that's a very... Uh, you know, it shows you over the last four decades we have stepped back and stepped back in the corner with our hands around our head hoping we're not going to be knocked right out. Mm. We're down now to 9% density of the Australian working people. 
So that strategy of trying to duck and weave around these bad laws hasn't worked. So the union movement's now saying, let's change the rules. And I think that's a really good thing. And if Labor gets in, well, we've got to hold them to that. Um, That's it, yeah. You know? Because the thing about it is, the way I see it is this. Look, at the moment, in real terms, Australia, day-to-day Australia, when that election happens in a few weeks' time, people are either going to vote on the progressive side, for want of a better term, people are going to vote Labor, Greens or Socialist. Mm. Now, um, you know, that really, from the point of view of the union movement, isn't the question for us. The question for us is, what are our policies? What, as a movement, are we going to do about the situation where multinational companies and the shareholders have more rights than citizens? What are we going to do about that? Because governments are limited in what they can do, unless they want a, you know, a revolution, um, and none of them are putting that forward at the moment. Um, then the reality of it is we as a movement have to come up for an answer for that. We've got to make sure that citizens in this country have more rights and we should determine the companies, the corporations that come to this country and the conditions under which they operate. And the first condition must be, at law, must be, their decisions must be carried out in the best interests of the citizens of this country first, not their shareholders. Yeah, and also the, um, just going back... Um the, oh, I wouldn't say Liberal Party because it's not just them. They're scaring away the, you know, they make putting accusations against unions that are false, sort of to make people scared and vote for them, sort of thing. Absolutely. Well, you know, a recent case in in, in point was um, the trial of John Setker and Sean Reardon of uh, blackmail charges. Now, mm. I was in the court most days for for, for that that hearing and if if Australians were in that court and they had heard what went down that, they'd have been blown away I mean the, the, the level of the conspiracy the emails that were going between the Victorian Liberals at the time who were in government between them, Abbott um, uh, you know the, the companies involved uh, yeah. uh, conspiring, if you want to talk about conspiracies, they, they were conspiring <laughs> to try and make Johnny and, and Sean look like they were guilty of blackmail and oh, right. lawyers were writing up um, uh, witness statements for, for witnesses. Some, some of the statements were chained 19 and 20 times. Um, so in the end, it was that embarrassing for the prosecution that they had to drop the charges. Yeah. Now, you know, when, when you see things like that actually occurring and you work out who benefits by things like that, then, then it doesn't take long to put two and two together. Yeah, and the, um, like the... Um you know, the wages are going down and everything's going up. And yeah, yeah. the Liberal Party saying, oh, it's, no, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, big, it's a big lie. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And, and, you know, the reality for the, the, the share that working people have of the wealth we create is getting less and less and the share that corporations are getting and the capital is getting is, is becoming greater and greater. And, you know, the reality of it is the reason for that isn't just because you've got a pack of greedy so-and-sos uh, in the capitalist class. Mm. The reason is is that they are in a deep systemic crisis and they literally can't afford capitalism as we used to know it. And that's what we're actually going through. That's the period we're living through now. I mean, if you took away the current wars, there'd be an economic depression. Capitalism would collapse. Now, what a, what a travesty that is. That means yeah. we're locked, locked into permanent war the killing of our brothers and sisters all around the world in order to continue being able to afford cheap T-shirts. Yeah, well, I reckon there's a better way for us, surely, than that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, do you know, um, you've been in like the union yourself for a long time, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so you've been into a bit of trouble? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I've sort of... <laughs> no, that's all right. I've, I've been, well, it's a good way to put it. I guess it's just uh, it's out there and it's real. I mean, I, look, I, I, if lucky is the right word, I, I've been a lucky man in my, my active life. I, in yeah. the 1970s, I was involved in the... The 1974 deregistration of the Builders Labourers Federation and all of the internal strife inside unions about that. Mm. In 1986, I was involved in the deregistration that did nearly kill us off, and that went on from 86 to the early 90s. It's at the BLF. Yeah. yeah. And uh, where let's let's just recall a few things about that. Like we, our union stood outside um, the Hawke Keating um, Accords. We wouldn't go along with the privatisations. We rejected casualisation. We rejected the whole neoliberal rollout, basically. And for that, our union was deregistered and derecognised and carved up amongst yellow union. Mm. So, so you know, I was lucky. I was involved in that. I learned a lot through that experience. And then in the nineteen um, end of the nineteen, uh, well, no, sorry, into the two thousands, then I was. Um, one of the people who set up uh, uh, Union Solidarity, and we fought from the end of 2004 till, what, end of 2008, beginning of 2009, the Howard Laws. And uh, so when you talk about those anti-solidarity laws that came in in 77, yeah. well, what we used to do was just, uh, you know, go out and break those laws. So we would hit every employer in the dispute, yeah. and thereby we would, you know, help workers to win the disputes. So it wasn't rocket science. Um, but it, and it exposed the reasons why they bought in 45 DE, those anti solidarity laws, because, of course, solidarity works, and they yeah. wanted to knock that on the head legally. Oh. So, you know, we, yeah, I've been very lucky to have, you know, been around, I guess, those, um, those uh, opportunities for working people to, to, to practice and learn, and um, yeah, and then, uh, then with Earthworker, um, uh, also very lucky because. Earthworker, its roots went right back to the 70s again where the Builders Labor Federation and other building unions ran campaigns like the Bluey's Boots and Overalls campaign. Mm. Now, when we ran that campaign, the Bluey company in Tasmania was nearly broke. Um, because of our campaign nationally, it became a multinational. And yeah. So now we didn't intend that. It was an unintended consequence. But what we learnt was that if we use our weight as workers in a different way, we can cause things to happen in the economy that otherwise wouldn't occur. So that was a big learning experience for us. Uh, the green bands, of course, the earth worker has its roots in the green bands, and that's that whole question about workers and economic democracy. Do we have the right as workers to make decisions about what happens on the job, whether it happens, where it happens, how it happens? We maintain, yes, that the next evolution within the democratic process is towards the economy. Mm. Mm. So I've been very lucky to have been around all that with other comrades and, yep. yeah, learnt, learnt heaps, still learning, and... and um, and close to 70, that means I am a very lucky man. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember seeing Sally McManus. I'm with um, United Voice, and one of the members said, oh, Peter, do you want to go for a dinner? Yeah. United Voice said, oh, yeah. why not? Free, yeah. free food and see someone from the National Secretary of um, ACTU or something. Yeah. And it was really cool. And she said the same thing, that break, if you can't, to break the laws, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and that'll change them. I think Sally uh, McManus is, is is really onto something there, and and I think, um, you know, her and Michelle O'Neill, her president, um, 
that those two women in in pushing forward this change the rules campaign and, and yeah, in yeah. their determination to keep it going regardless of who is in government mm. i think that that um, is a, a point of unity that you know your left wing right wing chicken wing we can all agree on and <laughs> all, all come together around and and support so i think uh, it's really valuable leadership um, yeah. and and i'm looking forward to it, to to that change the rules thing picking up on the secondary boycott you know the anti-solidarity laws a bit more but i'm very excited by by all of that and the last rally a few weeks ago was was magnificent yeah it was so um yeah all power to their elbow yeah, that was mm. a big, big week. B- busy weekend, sorry. Yeah, yeah. All that week. I went down, we went down to Frankston and um, stirred up one of the members there because he didn't want to come to this um, meeting down in um, the peninsula. Like, we invited him so many times. That yeah. It just ignored us. Yeah, right. And we just stood in front, picketed in front of there for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. Good eye. And then we had, a, like, a bit of a, um, a big meeting down there with all, mainly... Um, some economic, econ- economic person and yeah. somewhat two workers and some other politician. Yeah, right. It was pretty good. Yeah. So, and what were, what what were the main issues that came out of that? Oh, just um, mainly people's raise raise the wages. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some security guard said that some people. Um, they said, oh, why don't you do um, You know, there was a problem at the, at the work site and he said, oh, why don't you just go on strike or take action? And he said, well, no one wants to join the union in my workplace because of fear of um, joining the union. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, that's right. No, well, that's the other thing, you know, with a casualised economy and, and sham contracting and all those other arms-length forms of employment the first thing that happens is you're dead right. I mean, people get frightened and they worry that if they put their head out there on the chopping block, it'll get lopped off. So yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, re- rebuilding from here is important and uh, I think that means we've got to step outside the laws and, and, you know, become and remember who and what we are. You know, all we are is, is the, the democratic fist of, of the working people. We're not there to own buildings or cars or properties or have investments or mm. we're there for for that one purpose to to increase the, the the democratic rights of workers within the economy yeah that's true mm. so um what else have you got to, have you got any, anything else to say yourself or oh god i could talk on the <laughs> concrete you know <laughs> no look i, I mean you know one of the most exciting things I think going on at the moment um, and, and a real opportunity for unions to rebuild and grow is is the response by um, people and especially the young um, around the climate emergency. I think that uh, EBA unionism simply can't... It doesn't have an answer for climate emergency. Um, Earthworker, as you probably know, we, we've got... Uh, some ideas about how we can use enterprise bargaining agreements yeah. um, to to assist the planet to you know um, to heal and 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 create workers' jobs, but but in the end, it's going to take a different sort of organising. So what we're doing is trying to popularise this idea about organising for ownership. Yeah. So we move beyond the enterprise into the overall economy 
and look at the way, similar to the old Bluey's Boots and Overalls campaign with the Bluey Coat and Tassie, um, there needs to be a sector of the economy that the people own and control democratically and that is, that is flexible enough to deal with our real problems around climate emergency. Now, that is doable. Um, uh, it's, that work has begun mm. um, and we've got to now increase the level of intensity of, of uptake of those ideas if we are to deal with climate emergency. Do you mean like getting co-ops to go and stuff? Co-ops, I think, are, work are, 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 are cr- crucial. Com- yeah, crucial to that. Where we we say, well, all right. I mean, cap- capitalism is 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 organised in such a way where its investments are in fossil fuel, petrochem, plastics, and military. I mean, yeah. they're, they're the big four, and they are also the, you know, um, the planet stuffers. So, so we've got to not just march in the street saying that industries like that shouldn't exist. Um, we've also got to have a big yes over, over here on the left where we're creating the new jobs, where we're creating the alternatives that people can feel, see, touch. You know, that's, that's the thing. You know, rather than just be right, we could, we've often been right and lost. Mm. We've got to be right and win. And that means we've got to show that working people can own and control um, uh, sectors of the economy and, and, and major sectors of the economy and mm. make that sector of the economy work in the interests of, of everybody. Yeah, it's happening too, isn't it? I mean, here in Melbourne. It is. And um, it's a bit backward, not backwards, um, slow yeah. compared to the European um, and America. Yep. Like there's co-ops everywhere in America and Europe. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in the campaign though, because, you know, like Earthworker, that's been going 22 years now. 22 yeah. years of people sorting out where they stand on it and is it a good idea? Is it even <laughs> possible that unions be involved in this? All that sort of stuff. Is there a conflict of interest for unions? All these questions have been coming up for 22 years and, and I, you know, and we're still going through that. But my experience of campaigns is, um, uh, you know, that you reach a tipping point and then things can begin to happen on a bigger scale and more rapidly. And I think Mother Nature is about to hit us with a few tipping points. And yeah, true. And if we don't have available pathways to go down, um, then, you know, we better get real good at yoga and learn how to bend over and kiss our ass goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Because, and I think that's what Earthworker is all about. It's, it's trying to provide the modelling. Yeah. It's not saying that the few of us who um, old, you know, rusted on old reg like me hold the answers. The mm. people hold the answers, but we we can at least provide the modelling for the people, and I, and I think that's what Earthworker is all about. Yeah, I was thinking about um, like you talked about the BLF and stuff. And I remember, I can't remember what protest it was, but I, we were on this big protest. I think it was like land rights or something, yeah. and then all of a sudden BLF came around the corner and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alcan Digit was yeah. small, and then poor yeah. giant. No, they need to really support. Um, protests yeah, a lot. That, that, that's right, and, and, and doesn't that make the difference? You know, yeah. and, uh, I, I remember the AMW when uh, Craig Johnson was the secretary, and there were, uh, I, again, like you can't remember the blue now, but I was there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you know, there was a bloody couple of thousand AMW uh, turned up with Craig at the front, and and a bloody container turns up and gets welded onto the gate, and <laughs> you, know, you, you just knew that, you know. Yeah, the, the working people were there, and 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 we won. So that that's the sort of that's the sort of union movement we will win back if 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 we're going to deal with climate emergency. We have to have an empowered union movement, a free union movement. We've got free capital. We have to have yeah. free labour, 
It has to be a free movement and it's not at the moment because the laws apply unequally to unions as distinct from the employer. But, you know, we can win those things back. Our forebears have done it. Um, it can be done again. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I might just um, finish that up now. Um, good oh. Have a good one. I'll, we'll talk to you soon sometime. Sweet. Thanks, okay. mate. Cheers. Hi, my name is Lex Wharton and I listen to 3CR and I hope you do too. I hope that you could support 3CR in its radiothon because 3CR supports the fight for communities and support in all areas of struggles. So please listen to 3CR. That was Angus Gill um, staring at out of the back of a car. Um, I think that was a song Sam Watson was talking about. I'm not too sure, but it's a nice song. Um, it was about stolen generation. All right, um, we'll just go to a cart now. In December 2017, Tanya Day proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. <laughs> 